0: bay hills community church is pleased to have you join us for the concluding lesson in our series christmas classics in this series lead pastor david fossil has had us look at fun and favorite christmas movies which we've used as springboards to illustrate some key themes in life today as we look at it's a wonderful life join us as pastor dave gives us some pointers on how we too can have a wonderful life
1: good to see you turning your bibles to first peter chapter five if you have a, a a bible from the back it's page 859 page 859 we are wrapping up our Christmas classic series today where we've been um, allowing some of our favorite Christmas films to introduce and illustrate the theme for the morning. Uh, today we are going to be looking at what is the most viewed, the most popular Christmas movie of all time. It was uh, selected by the American Film Association also as the most inspirational movie of all time. Not just Christmas movie, but of any genre. It was released in 1947, just after World War II ended. So now, because of that, just real quickly, my under-30 crowd, by show of hands, where are you real quick? Let me show you, under-30 crowd. Okay, those of you who raised your hand, listen to me very, very carefully, okay? Before laptops, there were these things called type writers okay they were kind of like laptops but nowhere near as good before iPods there was these thing called Walkmans really cool you could put them right on your belt there put your cassette tape in exercise it was really cool in the 70s and 80s really lame and nerdy if you're still using one now now before flat screen high definition plasma TVs we actually at times used to watch movies wait for it wait for it here it comes In black and white. I know it sounds crazy. Sounds like it's from the Stone Age. Pretty much it was. The reason I say all that is because this movie, 1947, is in black and white. Okay? Uh, There's no fancy uh, and cool um, uh, car chases. There's no cool uh, special effects. But here's what it does have. It's an absolutely fabulous story. The title of the film is called, It's a Wonderful Life. And it's a story about a guy called George Bailey. George Bailey, ever since he was a little kid, wanted to uh, uh, save enough money and get to the age where he could go out to college and see the world. And when he's just about ready to do that, his father dies. And for the sake of his family business and for the sake of the town who, de- who, who very much so depends on the, the loan company that they have, he decides to stay. And time and time and time again in the film, when he's just about ready to leave, something comes up and he sacrificially decides to stay uh, again. And kind of frustrating for George, uh, but he makes the most of it, and he starts a family, and and things are going well, until at one point in time, his business partner, Uncle Billy, misplaces $8,000. Of course, in the 1930s and 40s, that's a ton of money. That's going to ruin their business, and uh, he's in deep, deep trouble. And it's at that point in the film where he starts to doubt himself. He starts to feel like a failure. He starts to wonder if it would have just been better for everyone if he'd never lived. And at that very moment, God sends George, his guardian angel, a bumbling, lovable guardian angel by the name of Clarence. And Clarence comes up with a fabulous idea. He decides to grant George's wish, to give him the opportunity to see what life would be like for everyone else, his family members in the town, what life would be like if he'd never lived. And that's the first clip we're going to watch where george is starting to see in the life of his mother and the town what life would have been like had he not been able to influence and, and 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 have an impact on people and here's our theme for the morning every single one of us without exception every single one of us really can have a wonderful life and we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 5 and see how that's possible but first let's watch this first clip
0: Well? Mother.
2: Mother, what do you want? Mother, this is George. I I thought sure you'd remember me. George who? If you're looking for a room, there's no vacancy. Mother, listen, please help me. Something terrible's happened to me. I I don't know what it is. Something's happened to everybody. Please let me come in and, and, and keep me here until I get over it.
0: Get over what?
2: I don't take in strangers unless they're sent here by somebody I know. What? Well, I know everybody you know. But your brother in law, Uncle Billy. You know him? Well, sure I do. When did you see him last? Today, over at his house. It's a lie. He's been in the insane asylum ever since he lost his business. And if you ask me, that's where you belong. his life touches so many other lives when he isn't around he leaves an awful hole doesn't he well, i've heard of things like this you've got me in some kind of a spell or something well i'm gonna get out of it i'll get out of it but i know how too i now, the last man i talked to before all this stuff started happening to me was martini you know where he lives well, sure i know where he lives he lives in bailey park Are you sure this is bailey park no i'm not sure of anything anymore All I know is this should be, Bailey Park. But where are the houses? You weren't here to build them. Your brother, Harry Bailey, broke through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. That's a lie. Harry Bailey went to war. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. See, George, you really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away?
1: Without exception, every single one of us really can have a wonderful life. Now, the question is how do you get it? Because there are different kinds of formulas in terms of how you get it. The world's going to say, if you want a wonderful life, here's what you need. You need to get a powerful position, you need to experience pleasure, and you need to get as many possessions as you possibly can. That's the world's formula. But that's not what the movie, and most importantly, this book says about what it means to live a wonderful life. What God says is, the way you live a wonderful life is that you make sure that your life, when you look back, you've made a positive contribution. You've made a lasting difference in people's lives. That's how you live a wonderful life. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to look at three or four things and ways to do that, okay? 1 Peter chapter 5, if you have a Bible, follow along with me. Verses 1 and 2 starts out, and here's what it says. To the elders among you, he's not talking to old people here, he's talking to people who have a special designation of leadership in the church. To the elders among you, I appeal to you as a fellow elder a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds, he says. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. Not because you must, but because you're willing at God's, as, God, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Eager to serve. If you're jotting down notes, first way you live a wonderful life and make a lasting difference is you need to invest in people. You need to invest in people. Now, so far in all services, no, one, no one's admitted to the fact. He tells us how to do that. You're a shepherd. You have to be a shepherd. Anyone here, we had no one in first and second service, anyone here that's ever worked as a shepherd or with sheep? Nobody. You know why? Because that's not our culture. Back in the day when Peter was writing, though, half the people in the church would have raised their hand. He uses this analogy because it would be like a waiter or waitress in our culture. We, We've Every single one of us has either worked as a waiter or waitress or know someone who has. That's the analogy. He says you want to make a difference in people's lives, then you need to be a sh- sh- shepherd. You need to be able to know how to work with sheep. Now, if you've never worked with sheep, the, the closest analogy that I can come up with is either living with or working with a junior high student. Okay, I don't mean that in a bad way. Every single one of us have been in junior high at some point. Uh, Junior high students are, it's very strange at times, but but very rewarding. Uh, Very awkward, but very, very um, uh, uh, happy at the same. It's all rolled up into one. It's kind of strange to explain. That's how it was working with sheep. That's how it was. It was a strange thing, but it was incredibly rewarding. Okay, and he says now, if you want to make a difference in people's lives, just do what shepherds do. Just do, oh, I, I don't know what they did. Okay, let me give you a couple suggestions. Two or three ways to make a difference in people's lives. First, you have to sacrificially serve. It's kind of interesting in the Christmas story. We read it every year, but we don't catch it. The shepherds that showed up to see the Christ child that we have in the nativity set, what does it say about them? It says that they were, here it comes, living in the fields surrounding Jerusalem, uh, Bethlehem. Living there. They weren't working third shift. They weren't just doing their job. No, they were living in the fields because you see in those days if you were a shepherd, you had to literally live with them. You can't just leave them in the pen and come back in the morning. It's too dangerous to do that. So the amount of sacrifice that you had to give to be a shepherd was massive. When it comes to people, it's a little bit the same. You have to sacrifice your wishes. You have to sacrifice your time and energy for the betterment of other people. Now, very simply... One of the things we need to understand about how to do this is is this. Small acts of kindness, repeated time and time again, can have a massive difference in someone's life. Let me say that again. Small acts of kindness, small acts of service, repeated time and time again, can have a massive impact on someone's life. So grandmas and grandparents, moms and dads, If you're a teacher, if you're a nurse, whether you're a high school student, whether you're retired, it doesn't matter. Small acts of kindness, sacrificially serving others, doing something that like that repeatedly can have a massive impact and a difference in someone's life. Another way you invest in people is to intentionally care. Shepherds, one thing about shepherds, they had to feed the sheep, they had to heal the sheep when they were sick, and sometimes they had to discipline the sheep, make sure they didn't wander off. One of the ways you invest in people is you do anything and everything you can to genuinely care for them. Two weeks ago, we talked about loneliness. That was our theme for the morning. We are just getting to the point of the year when it's reaching the crescendo. It's coming right this week. Don't forget about what we talked about two weeks ago. Look around. Find someone who's maybe a little bit discouraged, someone who's somewhat lonely, and go out of your way to to genuinely care for them. Also, to intentionally encourage to intentionally encourage people. One of my favorite encouragement stories happened about 10 years ago. It was a fifth grade class uh, at an elementary school in Oceanside, California. In that class, there was a boy called Ian Gorman. And he was going through chemotherapy because he had lymphoma. And after a couple of treatments, as is the case when you do chemo, is he started to lose his hair. And so, so it wouldn't be awkward. His parents decided, and they all agreed, that he would shave his head. And uh, that's not uh, unusual for someone who goes through chemo. What was unusual is what the other 13 boys in his class did. You see, his classmates, they didn't want to make him feel awkward. They didn't want to make him feel strange. They didn't want to make him feel left out. And so the other 13 boys in his class, they also shaved their head. You talk about, I mean, these are fifth graders going out of their way to intentionally care for and encourage one of their classmates. This story got picked up by, by the L.A. Times. It got picked up by the Chicago Tribune, by the New York Times. Everybody was talking about it, and one reporter met with the, uh, the dad of Ian Gorman. Of course, he didn't know what to say. He was choking back tears, and he said this, quote, It's really hard to put into words what his classmates did. All I can really think about is a verse, Galatians 6.2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. So I'm just going to ask you, are you? Are you carrying someone's burdens? Are you trying to help someone out? Are you intentionally going out of your way to serve and to care and to encourage? Why is this significant? It's significant because it makes a difference in your life as well. That's how you live a wonderful life, when you give of yourself to other people, to intentionally invest in other people. The second thing, if you're writing down notes, is you have to choose contentment. I skipped over it really quick, but right in the middle of these verses, at the end of verse 2, Peter adds these three, four words. Don't be greedy for money. Don't be greedy for money. But boy, this is a partly a pretty appropriate topic during this Christmas season. Now, just like I said last week, I'm not against Christmas presents. I'm going to give a ton to my kids as probably you are to yours, and I enjoy that. But you've got to be very, very careful as an individual and as a family what you communicate about what gifts and possessions can do for you. See, the wrong message that we receive from the culture and many of us have bought into is that if I just get more, then I'll be forever happy. If I get more, then I'll be important. If I get more, then I'll have security and peace. If I can just get a little bit more, then I'll truly have a wonderful life. And the reality is is that that's not true. It just isn't true now. Having something that's new, faster, shinier, better initially gives you happiness, but it does not give you lasting happiness. It never has. It's interesting. Also, the people that have the most things, it doesn't give them peace. In fact, in some cases, it gives them stress. They buy the boat, they buy the car, they buy the jet ski, and now they got to worry about it. Now they got to insure it. It's very interesting to me. The people who are most worried about the stock market, the people who are most worried about the stock market, are the people who are invested in the in the stock market. People who aren't, they care less. It's very interesting. More doesn't automatically give you a wonderful life, but contentment does. Contentment does. Let me give you a couple definitions. Greed is the constant desire for more and more and more and more. You never have enough. Contentment, on the other hand, is appreciating what you have. It's being satisfied with what you have. It's making the most of what you have. That's contentment, and it's a choice. Now, that is not saying, boy, I wish I had a car that was a little more reliable. It's okay to say that. Or saying, I wish we had a a little bit bigger house to to have the family in. That's okay to say. Or I wish I had a few more clothes or newer clothes. That's fine. It's not saying or pretending you don't have everything you need or want. No, it's the choice. I'm going to make the most of what I have. I'm not going to be the kind of person that is constantly living and wanting and needing more. If you are, I guarantee you, you are not experienced the kind of life that God wants for you. Let me set the next clip up. George marries his childhood sweetheart, a gal by the name of Mary. They're in the taxi. They're heading to the train station to go on this fancy honeymoon. And as they're leaving, they see that there's kind of a mob mentality in town. There's kind of a financial crisis going on. Everybody's worried. They're running to the bank to pull out their money. They're r- running to the, to, the, to the building and loan where, where, where George works to take out their money. And he realizes he's got to go back to the office. So he goes back to the office and very quickly he realizes he doesn't have enough cash to give out. At which point in time, his new bride suggests that they use the $2,000 they've been saving up forever to go on this fancy honeymoon. Well, at the end of the scene, they realize they're going to save the business but they just lost out on their fancy honeymoon. But you know what George and Mary do? They don't let that ruin their special day. You know what they do? They choose contentment. The same thing I'm challenging you to do. Watch this next clip, and then we'll keep talking about it.
2: Get through this thing, all right? We, we've got to stick together, though. We've got to have faith in each other. But my husband hasn't worked in over a year, and I need money. How am I going to live until the bank opens? I got doctor bills to pay. I need cash. I can't keep my kids on faith. I've got to have- How much do you need? Hey! I got
0: $2,000.
2: Here's $2,000. This will tide us over to the bank reopens. All right, now, Miss Thompson, how much do you want? But it's your own money, Joe. don't mind about that. How much do you want? Well, now? I can get along with $20, all right. $20, fine. And I'll sign yeah, the yeah. paper. You don't have to sign anything. I know you. You pay when you can. That's okay. All right, Miss Davis. Could I have $17.50? <laughs> That's your heart. Of course you can have it. You got $50, cents. You go. Seven. We're going to make it, George. Six. He'll never close us up today. Five. Four, three, two, one, bingo! We made it! Look, look, we're still in business. We've still got two bucks left. Well, look, let's have some of that. Let's celebrate. Get get some glasses, Kelly. Well, a couple of financial wizards. Those Uh, Rockefellers. Get a tray for these two great, big, important Samoans here. We'll save them for seed. A toast. A toast. A toast to mama dollar and to papa dollar. And if you want to keep this old building alone in business, you better have a family real. Folks, wedding cigars. Oh, wedding. Holy mackerel, I'm Mary. Where's Mary? Mary! Mary, oh, poor Mary. Look, I got a train to get. You know, the train's gone. Well, I wonder if Ernie's still here with these tagging cab. George, there's a call for you. Look, will you get my wife on the phone? She's probably over at her mother's. Mrs. Bailey is on the phone. I don't want Mrs. Bailey. I want my wife. Mrs. Bailey. That's all. That's my wife. Here, I'll take it in here. Mary. Hello. Listen, dear, I'm sorry. Huh? Come home. What home? 320 Sycamore. Well, what... Whose home's that? The Waldorf Hotel, huh? Hi, just, uh Good evening, sir. Entree, Monsieur.
0: Entree.
2: Every night we broke the windows in this old house. This is what I wished for.
1: Contentment is making the most of what you have. It's being satisfied with what you have. You see, a honeymoon, what makes it special, is not just where you go. It's who you're with. You've got to change your perspective in life. It's not getting more and newer stuff that's going to make you happy. It's It's rethinking what life is all about. It's rethinking that. A couple things that you have to really fight against when it comes to contentment. Let me give you some enemies of contentment. One would be unnoticed blessings. All the good things that you have in your life, in my life, that we don't really even think about. Let me give you a couple examples. My guess is that very few of us got up this morning and one of the first things we did is thanked God for our health, or thanked God for our family, or thanked God for the mattress we slept, slept in last night, or thanked God that we didn't go to sleep hungry last night, or thank God that at 6.30 in the morning the heat came on so we didn't have to be cold. Or thank God that we got to actually drive to church instead of walk to church. Now, all those things are true. And I'm not saying that we're being ungrateful or or not appreciative for those things. But we don't take the time to take three or four steps back and, and even realizing that we have all those things. We have to be very careful to not go through life not acknowledging the blessings God has given us. Unrealistic expectations. Uncontrolled ambition. Always needing and wanting more. And I need, I need to have another advancement in my career. Unfair comparisons will always get you in trouble always get you in trouble for example the story of a, of a of a russian woman she lives in a small hut with her husband and the three kids and then the in-laws have to move in and it's really difficult and she goes to the wise man in town and she goes i don't know what to do what should i do he says i, I, I come up with a plan do you have a cow he goes well, yeah we have a cow she goes well, uh, the wise man says what i want you to do i want you to take the cow and i want you to move the cow into the house with you for the week She goes, that sounds really strange. Just do it. Just move the cow into the house with you. I want want you to come back in a week. She comes back in a week. She goes, that was the worst week we have ever had. That is even worse. And he goes, okay, step number two, do you have any chickens? And she goes, Yeah. we have about a dozen chickens. I want you to take all the chickens. I want you to move the chickens inside the house with you as well. And and then come back and see me in a week. So she does that and he comes back and she goes, "It's, it's unbearable. We are just losing it. He goes, okay, let me try and start to fix this with you. What I want you to do for this next week is I want you to take the cow and I want you to move the cow back out and then come back and see me in a week. She goes, well, it's a little bit better. And he goes, okay, last step, I'm pretty sure this will solve it. I want you to take all the chickens and I want you to move them out of the house and then I want you to come see me next week. She comes back and sees them next week. She goes, you know, I really like our house. It's quite a bit of room. (laughs) See, it's all relative. It's relative to who and what you're comparing yourself to. Think about it. Who do you compare yourself to? Do, do you compare yourself to someone who out in the parking lot has a nicer car than you? Or, or friends of, or, or, of ours that live in nicer parts of neighborhoods around this area? Or, or do you compare yourself to someone living in, in East Africa or living somewhere in South America that doesn't even have running water? See, you've got to be careful with unfair comparisons. If you want to play that game, play the game. But don't just compare yourself to people who live in Orinda or something like that or Blackhawk. Compare yourself to everyone else as well. Here's the key. Do you want to have a wonderful life? I think so, yes. Then choose people, not things. Choose contentment, not greed. And the third thing that we are told to do is to choose humility, not pride. Choose humility. It's kind of interesting. Verse 5 and 6. Notice how many times this theme of humility is mentioned. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. In other words, show respect to those who have been around the block a few more times than you have. Show respect, okay? All of you, interesting choice of words, clothe yourselves with humility. Put it on as a garment toward one another because God opposes the pride, but he rewards and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. I'm not ashamed to admit this is probably something very few of you know about me. I like country music. I listen to it. I have it on my iPod. I'm pretty sure Jesus likes country music. He was born in a barn, so I can't imagine he wouldn't. And um, one of the reasons that I know, I, I have a way of twisting words, if you notice that. Um, one of the things that I like about country music is the titles. I just think they're so creative. I wrote some of them down. Let me just read a couple to you. How can I miss you if you won't go away? <laughs> I bought the shoes that just walked out on me. I changed her oil. She changed my life. I really like this next one. I'd rather pass a kidney stone than another night with you. (laughs) You're not going to see that on a Hallmark card. You know, one of the things about country songs is that I can't really identify with them, even though I like them. You know, because they're talking about problems with the truck or problems with the tractor or problems with my three girlfriends, or problems, you know, it's all these problems, you know, and I can't always identify with them, right? There is one song that I can't identify, and if you're honest, maybe you can too. It's written and uh, per- performed by a guy called Mac Davis, and it's entitled, Oh Lord, It's Hard to be Humble. And yet that's exactly what Peter three times says you and I need to learn how to do. To quit puffing out your chest and picking up your head and thinking you're all that. Don't live that way. It's actually going to backfire against you. Oh, by the way, if you have a study guide, look it on the back side of your study guide. Right there at the top, find Matthew chapter 11 verse 29. Jesus is speaking and he says, "Take my yoke upon you and learn from me." I'm for that. Yeah, that's why I'm in church today, Dave. You know, I want to learn from Jesus. Yeah, I want that. Okay, listen what he wants you to learn. "Learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart." Now, here comes the reward, and you will find rest for your souls. Do you want a wonderful life? Yes. Then this is something we all need to learn how to do. Now, I think some of us find it difficult to do this because we don't understand what it means and what it looks like. Let me give you a couple uh, definitions and then examples first. I like some of these. The first definition of humility I found in the dictionary, have a modest opinion of one's importance. A modest opinion. Don't make more of your contribution than it really deserves. Okay? Just have a modest opinion. Chill out just a little bit. It's the opposite of pride and conceit. Does anyone enjoy hanging out with cocky people? Prideful, conceited people don't draw others to themselves, they actually push people away. So I think this is part of the point. You, you, it's going to be very hard to have relationships that, are, that, that people want to spend time with you if you're prideful and conceited. Learn to, be, to have humility. This next one I really like. Uh, humility is not thinking less of yourselves, yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's not saying, uh, I don't have something to contribute, I, I can't do this good or, or, or whatever. It's just it's thinking of yourself less. Could spend so much time thinking about yourself, but how about thinking about some other people? Now, there are ways to show humility. Let me give you some examples of different ways to show humility. Let's put it up there, Larry. First of all, focus on the group. Now, you could substitute family there. You could substitute team there. You could substitute the word church there. Focus on the group instead of personal statistics. One thing you need to learn in life is that life is not just about me or I. Life is about us. Life is not about how many points you scored as a point guard. Life is about whether the team won. Life is not just about how I'm doing spiritually. Life is how we're doing spiritually. And we've got to learn to to focus on on us, not just me. That's one way you show humility. Another way is remember that God is behind all of your successes. I mean, that's what James says. You know, all the cool stuff, stuff you have. You know the position you have at work? You know the money you have in the bank? You know all the talents you have? Ultimately, all given to you by God. God, 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 God. Be careful about taking all the credit to yourself when he's the one that deserves it. The Bible calls it giving glory to God. That's the Bible word that it uses. That's what it means, is to give him credit for all the stuff that you've been blessed with. Another one is instead of bragging on yourself, compliment others. It's very interesting how the skill of complimenting others is a lost skill in our society. It's almost like we go through life expecting that people should do nice things for us. or We, don't, we don't, aren't that good at complimenting one another. And yet there's people all around us that deserve it. Don't wait for just the big stuff to say thank you or good job. Look for times and opportunities to say, you know, I appreciate that, or thank you, or boy, you're really good at that. It's not just about, you know, puffing myself up, it's about looking to see, especially people who, who maybe, uh, by, by world standards, I, are, are, are not as quote-unquote significant. Yes, they are. And appreciate that and, and thank them for that. Another, another way to show humility is don't be beneath any task. In other words, don't think, oh, well, wow, I'm so-and-so, so I, I don't have to do that. Do, do any of you recognize this guy right here? The picture is really small. Let's put it up there. Dave Thomas. Dave Thomas is the guy who put Wendy's on the map as a multi-billion dollar corporation. When Dave Thomas took over as the CEO, he said that every, everybody working for Wendy's Corporation must have an MBA. An MBA. Now, we understand and recognize those letters to stand for a master's in business administration. Well, that makes sense. If you're going to be part of a multi-billion dollar organization, you probably should have that kind of level of education. Except Dave Thomas said that's not what it stands for in my company. In my company, MBA stands for a mop and bucket attitude. I don't care if you serve french fries at the store, or you're a store owner, or you work at Wendy's headquarter. You need to have a mop and bucket attitude. You need to be willing to take a mop and go into the bathrooms and clean up if necessary. Humility. Humility. You know, one of the reasons I love the staff and the leaders at this church, one of the reasons, there are many, but one, every single one of them, every single one, at least once a month, shows up here on a Saturday when none of you are here, or very few of you, and sets up the chairs you're sitting on, and does the stage, and puts up the screens. And I don't hear them go, you know what, I'm a pastor, I shouldn't have to do this, I'm I'm on the leadership board. No, no. I think that's a good thing to have leaders like that. But we all have to be like that. Don't be beneath any task. Don't be beneath any task. Choose to show humility instead of pride. Last thing, if you want to live a wonderful life, no matter what you do, no matter what circumstance in life, whatever you do is lean on God. Depend on God. Last clip, George needs $8,000. He doesn't know what to do. Um, there's going to be scandal, he might even get thrown in prison. So he goes to his arch enemy, a guy called Mr. Potter, and desperately asks for help. Not only does Mr. Potter not help him, but he calls the cops to have George arrested. George runs off, and he ends up, and he has a conversation. I want you to listen very carefully who he talks to and what he's doing. It's hard to, to catch it, but listen.
2: Why do you come to me? Why don't you go to Sam Wainwright and ask him for the money? I can't get a hold of him. He's in Europe. What about all your other friends? Well, they don't have that kind of money, Mr. Potter. You know that. You're the only one in town that can help me. (laughs) uh, I've suddenly become quite important. (laughs) What kind of security would I have, George? Have you got any stocks? Bonds? Real estate? Collateral of any kind? I have some life insurance. $15,000 policy. Yes. uh, How much is your equity in it? $500. $500. And you asked me to lend you $8,000. No securities, no stocks, no bonds, nothing but a miserable little $500 equity and a life insurance policy. (laughs) You're worth more dead than alive. Why don't you go to the riffraff you love so much and ask them to let you have $8,000? good spaghetti. we got everything. we love
1: you best.
2: They God. Oh God. Dear Father in heaven, I'm not a praying man, but if you're up there and you can hear me, show me the
1: way. I'm at the end of my rope. Show me
2: the way. Oh, God.
1: Whether it's a small problem or whether you're at the end of your rope, lean on God. Look to Him to show you the way. The last verse I want to share with you, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Cast all of your anxiety, all your worries, all your fears, all your problems. I'm assuming every single one of us have some problem in our life right now. Cast all of that, all your anxiety on God, on Jesus. And here comes the good part. If you do that, it says, because he'll take care of your problem. No, that, that's not what it says. Cast all your anxiety, all your stress on him because he cares for you well, what do I get out of the deal? I mean, if I'm going to lean on him, if I'm going to depend on him, can't he just throw me a bone and get rid of my problem? Well, that's just not how life works. Well, then what is he, what, how does this help? And here's how it helps. Do you guys remember a while back when um, suitcases, they didn't have the little wheels on the bottom? You guys remember those days? Do you remember what it used to be like to carry a suitcase without wheels on it at the airport? And then your luck, you'd have to carry someone else's suitcase too. And your arm at the end felt like it's going to just fall off. Do You remember those days? God is like the little wheels on your problems. The weight of the problem hasn't changed. You're still going to have to lug it with you through life. But it's a little more manageable now. Because God helps you. He cares for you. He bears some of that burden. That's sort of what Peter's trying to say in this verse. Your problem isn't going to go away. I'm not going to pretend that it is, and neither should you. But casting your cares upon Him, casting your problems on Him doesn't take the weight away, but it does make it a little more manageable. Choose to lean on him. Choose to trust him. Choose to obey him. Choose to listen to him. Ask him, and he will show you which way he wants you to, he wants you to go in life. You know, in the script, the actor, George Bailey, says, I'm not much of a praying man, which is very interesting because in real life, Jimmy Stewart was completely different. He was a very, very committed man to faith. Let's put this last quote up here, and I'm going to wrap it up. Jimmy Stewart just recently said this. Today, after some 50 years, I've heard that the film that we just looked at today, the film has been called an American phenomenon. Well, maybe so, but it seems to me there's nothing phenomenal about the movie itself. It's simply about an ordinary man who discovers that living each ordinary day honorably with faith in God and a selfless concern for others can make for a truly wonderful life. Every single one of you, without exception, can have a wonderful life. But there's some choices you have to make. You have to choose to invest in people, the one thing that will outlast life. Choose to invest in people, not in things. Choose to invest in contentment, not greed. Choose to choose, choose humility, not pride, and choose to depend on God, not on yourself. There's your homework assignment right there. You want a wonderful life? Go live it. God gives you all the tools to do that. Let's stand. We'll close in a word of prayer, and I will let you get going. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've taught us, not only through this series, but specifically today. Father, this movie um, very simply is about what would life have been like had George Bailey not been born. During this Christmas season, I can't help but wonder what life would have been like had your son Jesus not been born. I'm thankful that I don't have to really live that out, but I'm so thankful for the difference he's made in my life and in our lives. Father, I pray, especially during this Christmas season, that we would all be challenged to share the difference that you have made in our life, not just this infant Christ born in a stable, but the one who lived a perfect life and died on the cross for our sins. Father, we love you. We thank you for this Christmas season and everything that it means. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said.
0: It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ.